You're listening to Real Presence Live. Now, back to more inspirational and uplifting stories and a look at the extraordinary things happening in our local area. Heard right here on the RPR Network. Okay, welcome back, Real Presence listeners. As they said on the lead-in, time for some inspirational and uplifting broadcasting here today. So we're not putting too much pressure on our guest, Caitlin, here. And uh, I'm Jack Canelli, and with me is my wife, Doreen, and we are your hosts. And before we get to Caitlin, though, uh, Doreen is looking up another one of her jokes, and she's nodding her head, ready to go. All right, Caitlin, feel free to answer this. Jack already knows the answer, because I tried it out on him before he left for Mass this morning. So, what does a lemon need when it gets hurt? Can you repeat that? Sure. What does a lemon need when it gets hurt? She's throwing softballs at you on this one. Come on, Katie. Oh, yeah. What is it? Jack, do you want to answer? Lemon aid. Perfect. Okay. <laughs> oh. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure that's going to be the high point for a lot of our listeners this morning. Yeah, you're going I to do another? I hope not. Okay, well, <laughs> I hope there are a lot of other highlights. Okay, Caitlin, uh, uh, let's 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 Would you introduce yourself, please to our listeners? Well, okay. sure. I was going to get to that. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Go ahead. Sure, yeah. Go ahead, Caitlin. The, the the air is yours. Perfect. Um yeah, my name is Caitlin Ripplinger. Um, I'm originally from Jamestown, North Dakota. Um, and yeah, I grew up here, and then I went to college in Atchison, Kansas at Benedictine College, uh, where I studied music and theology. Um, and in that time, uh, I took it as a time to really grow in my faith. Uh, I was always pretty... Uh, I grew up in a devout family, and basically I was my own in high school, so I was looking forward to this opportunity. And there I became more involved with some pro-life ministries and... Um, really started to fall in love with um, theology of the body and the truth teachings on sexuality um, in a world that says a lot of different things than that. I saw the goodness of this, um, and with that, I um, met the ministry called Culture Project, which I've been a part of now, going into my second year, um, where we go and speak to young students about basically all the big topics that come across in our culture on like human dignity, like sexual integrity, like, who am I, what am I made for? Um, and all around, um, we're in Ohio, Pennsylvania right now, but um, I asked for the past year doing that, and I'm super excited to share more about the Culture Project on air here. Um, can I, just as, I have a question, Caitlin. You say you work with young students. What age group are you um, talking about when you say young students? Good question. Yeah, for the most part, we work with middle school and high school students. Uh, sometimes college age, but... Yeah, middle school and high school is like our bread and butter. Mm-hmm. Very important years of their lives, too. Yeah. Are you finding that the students actually uh, have a bit of an understanding about, you know, how the culture is working against them and, you know, what their faith might be? Mm-hmm. Yeah, sometimes it's kind of tricky uh, in the sense, like, so for the most part, we speak at Catholic schools. Um, so these students have at least heard some of the Catholic teachings with it, and depending on background or depending on the home life as well, like they might be a little already like on board, and this is just like a like pump up kind of thing, uh, or there might be a little more resistance. Uh, I think especially I see in areas that might be or 
in schools where people are on like maybe social media a lot more. Um, we're really involved in that sort of thing uh, because of what we see you know, so contradictory to what they see on Instagram or TikTok or whatever. Um, I see a wide array of reactions, though. So does the Culture Project have a particular, like, philosophy of how to approach the young person that will engage them? Yeah, so a lot of what we do, especially in our sexual integrity presentation, which is like, you know, we were made for love, and this love is chastity, um, and love people the way they ought to be loved. Uh, we tell this a lot and make our point through the use of stories. These stories can be our own stories, uh, especially depending on our background, uh, but they can also be stories of, like, I often use, like, song lyrics of popular songs, like, at the time, um, or different trends that people see or pull from movies. Uh, so, yeah, using these stories in a similar way to how, like, Jesus used parables and stories to get points across. Um, that's kind of how we try to do it in a lot of ways, um, through this personal witness. What do you think it is about a story that is engaging? I think stories can be particularly disarming in the sense that we're not just, like, throwing out these principles or facts um, and... Like, while they might uh, pull back from those immediately, especially if they kind of sting or kind of hurt, mm-hmm. um, I think the stories can bring the right answer um, out of them or help them come to it themselves, uh, which is the goal, uh, right? If they can come to the conclusion that we're trying to make themselves, uh, that's where, like, true change can happen. Um, and I think stories really allow that to come to fruition. Now, as... Uh, are you... Uh, it- when you go out to uh, various locations to talk to students, do you go as a team uh, and visit them in classrooms, or do you do like weekend retreats at parishes? And how do you, you know, are you home based somewhere, or do you guys travel all over? Good question. I'll try to remember them all. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. So we are put on teams of six, um, and our locations right now are. We're in the Diocese of Toledo, Cleveland, Pittsburgh, and Philadelphia. And I served on the Toledo team this past year. Um, and so we go out for most of the presentations. We go out, uh, a guy and a girl, and give it together. The chastity one is separated, um, which makes sense. Um, but we get co-teams, the rest. Uh, and our stuff, it kind of depends on the needs of the diocese uh, or what uh, that kind of just looks like. But typically, um, we try to go and go through our whole curriculum at a school or at a classroom. So we'll go to like a theology class um, every other week for a month or something, giving the different presentations. Uh, or sometimes we also do like we call them like lunch encounters. You know, eating lunch with the students, I work recess with them, and build a foundation of right there and open up space for them to maybe ask some questions or hear witness in that way. Uh, but Again, like we're here to serve uh, the young people and what they need. So we also help with confirmation retreat, especially in the spring, um, providing our talks in that way. So our schedule is pretty all over the place uh, <laughs> as well, like with what our workload looks like throughout the week or what days off we have. But, uh, yeah, I think it definitely provides a disposition of just like a more radical availability than the typical Job word, I guess. Okay, so you kind of supplement well, what might be going on in the religion class at the school, and you also 
kind of uh, make yourself available to the students over the lunch hour or whenever you're at that particular location? Yeah, correct. Okay. So um, do you get feedback from the students? And I'm presuming you do. And, you know, what does that look like? Do you have any stories of, you know, any particular, uh, you know, aha moments that a child has shared with you? Yes. Um, yeah, we receive feedback from the students, which is really cool um, to hear. Like this, That what we say uh, makes a difference for them. I know for me, something that was really powerful uh, was I helped with, there's a large youth like conference in Detroit, Michigan, which is about an hour away from where we were in Toledo, um, where the way that they divided it up um, at this conference, I had, I think, about 600 students, um, is that they had two different sessions, uh, like a guys and a girls, and they wanted us to give our human dignity presentation, uh, but kind of shifted a little bit to be more towards each of the different genders. So because it is a guy and a girl presenting this one, I was, that was funny because I was the girl in like this room of like 300 high school boys, <laughs> um, which is just interesting. I never thought I'd be in that position, <laughs> but um, really trying to pull out like this like call for men and these young men to, you know, protect um, and to serve and to like, just like be radical witnesses of like what holy men look like. Um, and in our human dignity presentation, we talk about a few different forms of like large scale dehumanization. And one of those that we talk about is pornography. And pornography can obviously be hot button and requires a particular sensitivity towards. Um, but in this particular um, talk, we really emphasize like how it affects like their ability to love the women around them um, and you know to love the future spouse if that's what they're called to, um, and like vocationally how that can be a big deal, right? And how women deserve to be loved and not objectified. And afterwards, one of the students came up to me. Uh, and said, like, because it was a, like, a young girl, a young woman, <laughs> telling him, like, how it affects, uh, you know, how it would affect me or how it affects my sisters, like, that is what makes him want to uh, discontinue any pornography use. Um, and that was inspiration for him to really see how it affects others. Um, and I hope that um, he's able to stay away from that now. But I think that was just really cool to hear that aspect, um, that it meant a lot to him, you know? Right, and and that it came it came from hearing someone, a woman, say that share you know the the impact and the and the feelings that it, that it causes. That's a great example. Yeah, so so many people I think have the false impression that uh, pornography is just no big deal. You know, it doesn't mm-hmm. really affect me at all. And uh, Little do they know, it's probably one of the addictions that's uh, really ravaging the, the country. Yeah, for sure. I think, like, the average age of exposure is 9 to 11. And, you know, we'll go into, like, not to scare people, but we'll go into, like, middle school classrooms. And some of them have been struggling with it for years. Um, and it's just like, wow, this is a lot worse, I think, than what we often think um, we're at. And these are Catholic school classrooms. Right. Yeah. Oh, okay, well, with that... We'll go to a break, give people something to kind of ponder on over the, uh, as they're listening to the, the break messages. And you're listening to Real Presence Live. We're talking to Caitlin Rip, Ripplinger of the Culture Project. And stay tuned for more to come after the break as we uh, continue our conversation.
Stay with us. There's more Real Presence Live to come on the Real Presence Radio Network. Are all sins forgivable, even suicide? I'm Father Chris Alar. Jesus said that there's only one unforgivable sin, the sin against the Holy Spirit. Basically, that means dying without repenting. But how can someone who dies suddenly, such as by suicide, have a chance to repent of any sins? Jesus tells St. Faustina that he comes to the soul at death and gives them three opportunities to repent. Regarding suicide, Catechism 2283 says, By ways known to him alone, God offers them the opportunity for repentance. In essence, the only unforgivable sin is not accepting the mercy of God. So to learn how to help your loved ones do just that, please visit suicideandhope.com. So I can personally pray for anyone you've lost and to get our book, After Suicide, There's Hope for Them and You, which helps with any kind of suffering or loss, not just suicide. I promise it will help. S.J. Machine, proudly named after and dedicated to St. Joseph, provides quality machining and induction heat treating to a variety of industries. Just as St. Joseph worked diligently to meet his family's needs, S.J. Machine strives to understand and meet your production needs. Prototype to production, working together toward success. S.J. Machine can be reached at 701-347-0155 and are a proud supporter of the Real Presence Radio Network. Did you know you can listen to the RPR Network when you're on the go? Just search for Real Presence Radio in your app store. Listen live to any station across the network at any time, so you can stay connected to your local community from wherever you are. Plus, if you miss a program, the Real Presence Radio app is your one-stop shop for local and national podcasts, including our signature show, Real Presence Live. The Real Presence Radio app, with you every step of your faith journey. Download it today and see what you've been missing. You're listening to Real Presence Live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Join the conversation on our Facebook page or on Twitter. And be sure to like and follow us for more great Catholic content. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to this uh, third segment of today's installment of uh, Real Presence Live with Jack and Doreen Canelli as your hosts. We're talking with Caitlin Rittlinger of the Culture Project. But before the break, we kind of left you in a sort of a somber place with uh, just a little bit of information about pornography and uh, you know kind of how pervasive it is and the age the young age of the people that are actually experiencing it so we thought we would start out this uh, the second half of this half hour with Doreen uh, telling us another one of her hilarious jokes or or uh, riddles or whatever they are <laughs> they're kind of more like riddles and Caitlin you I can't answer these all right Caitlin are you ready I'll do my best. Okay. <laughs> Why don't crabs give to charity? Is it something like a penny pincher or something like that? You're on the right track, but okay. the answer is because they're shellfish. Uh, <laughs> the penny pinchers would be yeah. really good with their claws. Yeah, that, they, there <laughs> you like go. That. Yes. Well, <laughs> Okay, well, let's get back to the culture project. And um, what were we going to talk about? What, well, you've talked a little ahead, bit Dream. about what, you know, the the way in which you engage the uh, the students that you 
are working with. And um, I think that says something about what a missionary for the Culture Project looks like. But uh, maybe you could say a few more words about uh, you know character, uh, characteristics of someone that would make a good missionary for the Culture Project. Yeah, I think so. a couple other things that we do um, within the Culture Project on a pretty regular basis is that we have a pretty large like social media presence. So missionaries are like writing blogs, uh, writing captions, creating videos, creating TikToks uh, to meet the young people who we might not see in the classroom. They might come across our content online or people that we have met in the classroom to continue the conversation with uh, later. So you can also check us out um, on any social media platform at The Culture Project, I-N-T-L, um, to see a little more like what we do in that group. Um, but another big part of what we do with The Culture Project is we are very present outside of abortion facilities, um, praying and sidewalk counseling, um, and especially in Toledo. Uh, we're very tied into the, the diocese and the pro-life um, stuff there. So very regularly, at least once a week, you know, we're there an hour um, advocating in this way. And we've had a few glory stories uh, from this as well, but which I can share later in a bit too. Uh, but people who would make good culture product missionaries um, are... People who, I think, people who maybe have higher ideals are just like, they love human love, and they want to uh, remind people like, that desire within our hearts um, to be loved and to be fully is good, and that's actually like what we're made for. Um, and that enthusiasm that can come with that, ensuring that even if you know, our past doesn't look like this ideal love, um, like really that's what we're made for, and that you know, human relationships are great and good, but like the ultimate love that we're is in relationship with God um, and being able to tie all that together. Um, I think as well, like I said kind of previously, because we're really, um, we don't have the same schedule the day-to-day or week-to-week. And we have a few things that we cover, but like it varies a lot. I think there's an aspect of, um, I don't know, surrender that a missionary has to take on. Um, maybe it's not a natural disposition, but be willing to take on this like, I don't make my own schedule, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. And it'll be kind of wild. <laughs> so you have um, to be flexible, it sounds like. And yes, it's very ready flexible. ready for the person who's put placed in front of you. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And because one of our pillars also is community, we spend a lot of time intentionally with our team. And obviously, you don't pick your team. They put you on a team. And so you might not get along perfectly or click with everybody on your team, but the point is this is supposed to be a school of love where you learn, you know, to, to love every single member of the team. Um, and hey, this can be really joke. This is like the best, but the hardest part of mission. Um, and I would say it's probably true. It's like being <laughs> um, in a family. But yeah. yeah. But it's a great groundwork for that well, stuff. Working on a team or with any kind of group is always a challenge because of the various personalities that you might have. But what are, what are some of the other challenges I can imagine there, uh, pretty significant when you think of how countercultural your message is. Yeah, I know it depends mission to mission, but in the sense that we all support raise our salary, um, I'm very blessed to have a Catholic family that's pretty on board in general with all this stuff. Um, so I felt very supported in that way, but there are many missionaries, maybe um, come from families that um, are Catholic but don't agree with all the churches teaching and stuff, um, or their converts and their families disagree with them on pretty much all of what they do. Um, so that seems really tricky. 
for a lot of experience. I just like the personal level of that. Um, I think as well, it can be really tricky, like, outside of the abortion facilities. Like, I have been praying outside of them for quite a while now. I go to the women's clinic in Fargo, and I would go to one in Kansas City when I was in college near there. Um, but people can be pretty nasty um, or pretty awful towards us sometimes, mm-hmm. uh, which is just part of it. And also, in a kind of backwards way, a good pack of, like, okay, like this is important to, like, the spiritual attack here, and, like, that means that what we're doing um, is important in this realm. So that can be a big t- challenge as well. Um, and it's also funny, like, I think most of us who come into the Culture Project, although mostly, like, what we do, or a lot of what we do is public speaking, um, that's not naturally necessarily all of our top strength, um, or, like, where we feel the most confident, but it's more of, like, like, we feel the Lord calling to share this message, and then we have to get trained and, like, work on this, but, like, it can still be really hard and really intimidating to uh, go from not doing it at all to having to be your full-time job, essentially, you know? Right. So, um, as a when you become a member of the Culture Project, or a missionary, I, I should say, for the Culture Project, do you commit a certain number of years to the work done there, or how does that work? Yeah, so it's on a year-by-year basis. So it's like year through June of each year. Oh, okay. And then you, you said that you raise your own salaries. If someone is in a, a situation where they just don't have the contacts, um, that like you, you describe families of like converts to the Catholic faith that, that are part of the culture project, and they don't, their families don't understand, um, is there, does the culture project give them help in having a living wage? I guess I should say. Yeah, I think... Yeah, before I did any support raising, I thought, thought it was very daunting. I was like, how in the world do we mm-hmm. <laughs> get this? Uh, but in situations like that, um, it's very important. So we all come with like a list of people um, that we think might support. And when you're meeting with people, to ask them for references of people that they think might support um, to keep the names coming. Um, and as well, like we're encouraged, or they'd be very encouraged to do parish appeals um, at nearby you know, um, oh, sure. churches. Mm-hmm. And so I get names that way. And, yeah, even those situations where it might be objectively more difficult, it, everyone always ends up being fully funded. So the Lord oh, wow. works in that for sure. Oh, that, that's great to know. Is, is, mm-hmm. is there a central office, and where would they, where is that located? Our central office is in Philadelphia. Okay. And how long has the, the Culture Project been in existence? Yeah, it's a relatively new organization. Um, it was founded in 2014. Oh. It Now, did it uh, come out of the diocese there, or was it just a, a group of people who had this idea that uh, this is uh, you know a message that we need to get out there? Yeah, so it was kind of a break-off of a different pro-life group. I think that, from what I understand, is like they wanted to tie in more, uh, like, how chastity and theology of the body ties into having a culture of life. Um, because I think sometimes people see it as fragmented of, like, why do you talk about chastity, but then you also give talks about, like, human dignity and abortion and all this stuff. Like, how do those necessarily go together, except for the fact that they're hot buttons? Uh, but it's like, okay, by creating good relationships, you know, that are not of use, but are of love, and building up good and holy families, and where we see our sexuality as something sacred and a gift, um, 
I said that the Lord like, might uh, give us some framework to work with, not because he's trying to limit us, but because like, this is what is good for us. Um, we see it in that realm. Um, for one, abortions yeah. do not happen as often with like the correct you know family unit and this disposition towards sexuality, um, but also like this increased um, reverence for the human person comes about. So I don't think uh, we just, of course, it is important to go to the sidewalk uh, to advocate for life. And like I said, we do that. But I think a lot of it also starts a lot earlier on um, in talking about these issues as well. You know, even to these middle schoolers, um, who this might be a long way down the line for some of it, but it's still really important to get across now. Caitlin, if, so, if, a, if there's a listener listening right now that um, you've sparked an interest um, in their heart to become part of the culture project, um, number one, how would they go about doing that? And then my other question before we um, come to a close is, how can our listeners, if they feel that the Holy Spirit is is calling them to support uh, the Culture Project financially or in some other way, how can they go about doing that? Awesome. Yes, like I said earlier, you can go on any of our social media platforms. Um, it's at the Culture Project, I-N-T-L. Uh, but you can go to thecultureproject.org to learn more about us. Um, if someone is listening and wants to apply to be missionary, we're still looking for a couple missionaries for the next year. Um, so I think there's a big apply button. Pretty clear up there. Um, but if you, if someone's interested in supporting financially or spiritually, um, there is a donation link right, again, on our homepage um, where you can fill out that. And if someone particularly is um, feeling inspired to support me because I am still looking for financial support this next year, um, when you hit donate, you just find my name. Caitlin Ripplinger, and you can set up a donation right online. It's pretty simple. Oh, very nice. Would you say that um, web's, web address one more time and maybe a little more slowly so that yes. anyone who might want to write it down could write it down? Yes. So the web address is thecultureproject.org and you hit donate. Okay. Okay, and then you can uh, find your name or... Uh, Somebody else, I guess, but uh, and I'd certainly encourage our listeners because when you think about the age group that you're dealing with and the message that you have, you know, the importance of uh, an understanding of theology, of the body, uh, it's critical as far as 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 far as raising young people who uh, know their faith and can go out into the uh, into the culture and uh, speak truth, speak the truth, yes. So uh, thank I'm sorry, Caitlin, for being with us. Yes, today. Well, we're, our, our time is up for this segment. But Caitlin, we want to thank you for being with us. This being your second time, so who knows? Maybe yeah. in a down the road, we'll be talking to you again. Uh, and we ask our listeners to stay with us on the other side of the break. We're going to be talking to Judge Robert Conrad about a book that he wrote about uh, Saints John Fisher and Thomas More. So stay with us for more Real Presence Live. This is Real Presence Live, where the focus is not on the evil around us, but on conversion and mercy through the good news that is always good. We're local, engaging, and live on the Real Presence Radio Network. 